Every one of them marked were key relationships. I put the time and effort into relationships. And I would like to think I do that with everybody that comes in contact with me. I always give them the time of day that they deserve. They're another human being on this earth just trying to get by like everybody else. So I think well, if you're nice, what goes around comes around, you know? Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm so delighted to be joined today by Andy Mackin. Andy is the CEO of the Mackin Group, which encompasses Mackin EHS and Mackin Talent. They're an award-winning business services company headquartered in Cork in Ireland, operating globally with 200 team members in 12 countries. Andy has a unique background compared to many of the guests that I have on the show in that he served for 21 years with the Irish Naval Service, retiring in 2006 before going on to huge entrepreneurial success. He's an EY Entrepreneur of the Year finalist and a super lovely guy. Andy, thank you for being here. Welcome. Hi, Mark. Great to be with you. All right. So you were referred by one of my coaching clients, Morgan Cummins at Talent Hub. He's an awesome guy, super, super positive. Could you briefly outline how you met Morgan? Yeah, myself and Morgan met uh, met online, to use that cliche, <laughs> uh, Mark. Yeah, he's a lovely guy. We we met online during COVID, um, I was just sharing content on LinkedIn. Um, and obviously, he's a really positive guy. I, I would consider myself a really positive guy myself. Um, and we share a lot of values and similarities on, on how we think uh, business should be run and things like that. So we've struck up a really good friendship and we've and we've kept that up. That's amazing. Do you remember, like, did he engage with something that you had posted or or vice versa? I'm not too sure. I think it was something where I, I, I started a challenge actually in 2020 for myself just before COVID hit, actually the January of that year, actually. I'd read very little previous, Mark. Um, maybe the odd book here and there. I think I probably read maybe four or five books in the previous 10, maybe 12 years. Um, and I've been kind of just following a lot of the really successful people online and stuff. And all of them seem to be avid readers they're, they they crave information uh, and, and good stuff not not the negative stuff so i said okay so my challenge was i would i would read a book a month for 12 months and see how i get on and i would i would set my clock every morning Monday to friday for 30 minutes and inevitably i read a book a month for the 12 months and i've kept that up so every month then i posted what book i was reading telling people that I was doing this challenge for myself that i hadn't read a lot and i think morgan kind of commented on a few and then we just we just kind of LinkedIn, and then it led from there. Oh, wow. That is such a cool story. I'm really glad you told me that. Um, definitely, like we find that the majority of our coaching clients are people who either read or they listen to books on Audible. Mm. Um, and they're always, you know, uh, attracted to that sort of information that's either about mindset or about sales and marketing or about, you know, being successful with business or, um, or recruitment specific, but not necessarily. And to the point that we've actually started our own book club for our clients. So we, we take a book a month, uh, and then we agree on what the title is going to be for that month. People make different suggestions. And then we, once we agree on a title, then we all read it. And then we schedule, you know, the follow-up call to discuss the book, what we took away, what we liked about it, what we could action, you know, from, from the ideas we learned and that sort of thing. Um, so that's really interesting that, and I'm not surprised Morgan commented on that because I've posted about books before and Morgan has commented on those as well. And that's, that's the other thing I wanted to pick up on. How, how often do you post on LinkedIn? I would probably prior, prior to COVID Mark, probably not enough, a lot and not, not by 
just not not choice. I, I just like the time constraints. But um, during COVID, I kind of said I, I made a conscious effort to, if I'm doing a post, I'm going to do it. It's just going to be a positive post. So it's either about something positive that I'm reading, something positive that's happening with the business, and I think it just picked up. So I, I I would I would probably comment a good bit now, not to the point where I lose myself in social media because that's very easy to do. I'd be very very um disciplined about my time in, in that. But I would I I I'd post two or three times a week, but it would be something something positive anyway, something that people would get something out of. I would feel. Amazing. That's such a good habit. It's a bit like going to the gym, you know, two, three times a week. And, um, you know, such a great way to build your visibility, your brand, attract a following and connect with really, really good people. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. You know, if people listening, do, like think about when you go on LinkedIn and your newsfeed, you probably have certain people that you are appearing in your newsfeed again and again. Mm. And there's no reason that you couldn't be that for your audience where you're showing up consistently in people's newsfeed and and either a you know attracting new people to get to know you better or even just staying top of mind with the folks who are already in your network and Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, just on that point mark while you're making it i i never really seen that as as something that I'd be doing until I started that challenge with the books. And then I realized that people have a vested interest in, in um, how they, they will see a person. So if they see somebody that is doing well in business, and I've been fortunate enough to be a finalist in EY, as you mentioned earlier on in 2020, um, we've, and the company has won quite a few awards over the last couple of years. So people are interested then. So, well, what are you reading this week? Like, why are you reading that? And I, I was getting questions on a, on a kind of regular basis of different people say, oh, I love that book. Yeah, you should try this book. So people started giving me recommendations then of similar type of mindset books, you know, positive books. So it's funny how you're 100% right that people will engage with that kind of stuff, especially when it's positive and it's having a positive effect on them. Um, but I never thought I'd be that person. You know, like I, I was just doing it for a challenge and a bit of fun. And yeah, it's 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 crazy how it turned how it turned out. That's so cool. Um, listen, after this, uh, we record this episode. I will send you. We've assembled like a little ebook of the 25 uh, best performing posts from within our recruitment coaching community, uh, just to get inspiration and ideas of what you know, types of content has worked well. Um, mm -hmm. and it's got the, you know, an image of each post, but also links. So you can go and look at the original post. And, uh, so I'll send that to you after this, um, Andy. And by the way, if anyone listening wants to see a copy of that, just reach out to me, either DM me on LinkedIn or drop me an email mark at recruitmentcoach.com. And we'll send you a copy of the, uh, of the ebook as well. Um, speaking of books, then like what, I just want to continue on this, um, theme for a, a couple more minutes. Um, since you started the challenge, what book have you found the, that had the most impact or you, you enjoyed the most? Um, there, there's a couple of books. The, the one I would say had the most impact is a book called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Um, and it's a very simple book. I, I read it in under the month. I think I got in three days early on that month when I read it, but it's just like, um, about being consistent, Mark, like if you're doing things, be consistent because, you know, the, the tortoise always beats the, beats the hair. You know, it's just if you're consistent yeah. over time, you will get there. You will be you will win every race you ever you, you ever run if you're consistent all the time. But always just taking that little step forward. And it, there's loads of examples in the book of different things and different situations whereby when you apply it to whatever task or whatever job, whatever piece of life or part of life you're looking at, if you're consistent with it 
it will pay dividends. It's like you mentioned earlier on in the morning, uh, two or three days in the gym every week. You won't see the results next week or the week after. You won't see them next month. You won't even see them in six months. But in 12 months, you'll have lost a certain amount of pounds. You'll have gained a little bit of muscle. You'll feel better. You'll be sleeping better. So most people give up in the three to six month period. It's not working for me, but it's like you just got to be consistent. So that book talks a lot about that. And it's a really, really good. It's an easy read. And anybody who reads it will love it. That is awesome. I've actually not read that one. So I'm adding that to my list. Definitely. Um, it's so true. Like the consistency is the same with posting on LinkedIn, of course. And, and mm -hmm. there is a compounding effect over time. Now you can like just post the right thing at the right time and it's seen by the right person. And, you know, that person reaches out to you and it turns into a, a client or a candidate or mm -hmm. a team, new team member or what have you. But in order to put yourself in a position that you do, you know, um, you like you can't time that, right? Because you don't know when your no. ideal uh, contact is going to be reading it. The only way to time it is to be there every day posting regularly. Yeah. And then you have a much better chance of, you know, connecting with those people, right? Yeah, but people will isolate that one golden nugget mark that you post and you get 50,000 people following that one. But they don't see the other 365 days of the year that you posted other stuff. But like, for that one person to see that and then for it to go viral for you, you have to be consistent over three, four, five right. years of, of content, 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 and then yes. you hit you hit the gold. So I, I don't believe in those one-offs. People say, oh, yeah, you're just lucky. Jack Nicholas always said that the harder I work, the luckier I got. So, it's, yeah. you know, it's it's so true, though. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You can't really, I've, we study the algorithm and we like closely look at within our, our recruitment community, like what posts seem to do well and how to craft your opening hook, which is the first line of the post and like all those things. But really, you can't make a post go viral like and you yeah. just never know what's going to take off and what's not. The only thing you can do is put good quality stuff out there consistently. And then, you know, most of it will do average, which is still good. Like if you get 500 or 1000 people looking at your post, then that's still um, 500 to 1000 people in your network who are, you know, remembering who you are and what you do. But if you're putting value out there consistently, once in a while, you'll just get something that absolutely takes off and it's seen, mm -hmm. you get a lot more, you get a lot more reach. Um, I liked what you said about the tortoise and the hare because in the reality, in most people's jobs, like in your career or when you're running a business, there really isn't any finish line, right? So, you know, it is a marathon and not a sprint and you have to pace yourself accordingly and just, you know, um, be relentless uh, in 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 and consistent and um, and that gives you a sustainable, profitable business over over time. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, listen, your route to recruitment success is unusual. Can you tell the story about leaving the navy and starting up your own business? Sure. Um, so, as you mentioned, Mark, I, I did twenty one years in the navy. I, I served my time as an electrician, um, and. Probably, I was working with, we have a representative body here in Ireland for the Defence Forces called PD4. So they they, re they represent the enlisted personnel for pay and, and conditions and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I was involved at national level um, as a the assistant health and safety officer. And, I, and at that time, I didn't have a, I didn't have any training. So I was just kind of just giving guys advice. So somebody would ring me up and say, Andy, there's a big building going on here, a project in the, in the barracks. What do we do? 
So I would have to go off and research all the different health and safety legislation, what was required, how to map it, the site signage, all that kind of stuff, then feed it back to the guys. And I was kind of saying to the general secretary one day, I said, Jerry, I said, look, I really should know what I'm talking about here. I, you know, I should have some kind of course or training. And he said, go and look, see what's out there and we'll see if we can support you in that. So I went off and went back to college to UCC and did my diploma in health and safety. Really enjoyed it. Started doing a few little um, uh, projects here and there for within the within the service. Really enjoyed it. Um, and then I kind of decided probably about five or six years before I left that this is probably something that I'd like to do um, when I go. So in 2004, I got an opportunity to, to start a business. Um, and then in 2006, obviously I retired. And by that stage, I probably had maybe five or six regular clients that were popping in for regular consultancy services and probably another half a dozen clients um, that were popping in on and off. And I said to my wife, I said, you know what? I said, look, I'm going to give this a go. I said, I'll have my pension. So the mortgage will be almost covered. Um, and if I do this two or three days a week, I'll have a couple of days off with the boys. I'll be able to help you with the child money because my wife worked full time at the time. And my wife still says to me to this day, Mark, whatever happened to that three-day gig that you were talking about doing in support? <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably working harder now than I ever did before. Um, but that's how the business started off. And then we, we kind of grew consistently you know, year on year from there. But uh, you know, back to that compound effect, just getting up every day and doing the mundane stuff. But 95% of most jobs is mundane. Amazing. So, um, you so what an incredible journey! Like from that point, that was what two thousand six that you two thousand six, yeah, October two thousand six. Okay, so then we're talking 15, 16 years um, that since you launched, and you know, you now have two hundred uh, team members, and you're you're operating globally. Could you? like break down for me what were the main milestones in that journey it's like uh how long did you run the health and safety business be, you know consulting and training before you launched the talent business and um, we launched the talent business in 2014 and subsequently okay. and that came out mark that came out actually of an of a health and safety project that i was working on so and in lots of ways talent and health and safety funny enough like they kind of go hand in hand in lots of ways because when you when you onboard a, a new person, there's all that kind of ergonomic assessments to be done. There's that workplace safety to be done. So like with a lot of clients, we can go in and be working on working with them on the health and safety, and then also help them with the recruitment, uh, or help them with the recruitment, and then also help them with implementing their their health and safety policies on site. And now I didn't see that at the time. That obviously has developed over time, but um, 2014, yeah, I was working on a health and safety project for a client of ours in Dublin. Um, and um, they asked me, would I, would I go to the States? They, they were trying to develop an, an online platform to get training sent out, notifications sent out to all the operations people on time so that they were getting bombarded with training and they just needed a bit of structure for how that was being being done. So I was working on a project with two guys out of the US um, and we had a site meeting on one of the sites in Belgium and the, those guys came over with their director. Um, and I remember saying to him, I said, look, I said, it would probably be, probably be better if you had a couple of guys on a more consistent basis, it would really help the project rather than just the three of us who all have daytime jobs as well. And we were doing this as kind of a, an added service. And he took that on board. Nothing changed. We kind of walked away for the next six months. And then October, yeah, oh, no, sorry, December of 2014, I was over in the US um, and he just said, look, he said, 
the the contracting company that I'm using for the two guys, um, I don't particularly get on with. They're not really looking after the guys. They haven't, you know, they haven't seen a manager in eighteen months. Um, that 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 contract is coming up for renewal. I said, would you be interested in 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 hosting those guys? And I said, look, I said, I don't really do recruitment or project resourcing. It's like safety consultancy and training. That's what we do. And he said, look, it's going out in the new year. Have a think about it. You've got first bite of the cherry. So I went home. Uh, and I, I was seriously thinking about it. I'm still kind of humming and hawing because, again, you, you're looking at a new avenue um, in a different country, which I hadn't done before. Um, uh, and unfortunately, that year, Mark, my one of my younger brothers passed away two days before Christmas. And I remember, I remember sitting in his house with my young, my younger brother, um, just having a, we were just having a beer in his name and just trying to reminisce and stuff. And I was telling my brother, I said, "Yeah, I said I got, I got this opportunity, and um, I, I kind of want to do it." And my brother just said, well, look, if your brother Wayne was here, he'd kick your backside if he didn't do it. So like, you, if you know you want to do it, just do it. So I rang Steve up about two days after Christmas, obviously, because the US guys are back on the 28th. There's no no long holidays there. And um, I told him, I said, look, yeah, I'd be interested in doing that. Let me go off and register a company and see what see what's involved. And that's how the, the talent business. So we, we, we project resource those two guys for maybe about a year and a half. It was nice and easy. One invoice a month. You know, a couple of grand profit every year. It was easy. I could manage a grand from from Ireland, and I was popping over then once a quarter to meet the, the director and make sure everything was going okay. And so, he was he was really happy with that. Um, so that's where it spawned. Yeah, really amazing. Now, I just want to pick up on a couple of things here. First of all, I didn't realize there was a real crossroads where you were in two minds as to whether to pursue this opportunity or not. And looking back like at how the talent business has absolutely taken off, do you ever like almost it's a sliding doors moment where like there's an alternate universe where Andy Mackin didn't pursue that. And like, just imagine how different life would be. Um, I, I just think that's incredible. Like you over overcame that fear or that self-doubt to to say do you know what? I'm going to I'm going to go for it um what was that thought process like apart from like obviously you had the encouragement of your brother and and that that sort of reminisce but um what was holding you back from giving it a, a go I, I suppose I had never done anything like it in my life mark so i mean it's it's a huge like number one and i always go back to to, to my upbringing i i, ne I never finished school and like the equivalent of high school in America. Um, so I always kind of held a grudge to myself that I never, but it wasn't an option. Like at the time my father was unemployed um, or working part-time, I was the eldest in the family. So I really had to kind of get out there and get a job and start helping out with the family and stuff. Um, and I had no problems doing that. Doing that That was that was how it was back in the early 80s. Um, and I went to England on a soccer trial. That didn't work out. And I just got a job over there because where I lived in Dundalk in, in Ireland um, in the mid-80s, and probably the same in the UK, it was pretty bleak in the mid-80s <laughs> right across Europe. So it, there wasn't a lot of jobs around. Um, so I went over to England and I just stayed there and worked in I got a, a, a job as a silver service waiter in the Grand Hotel in Torquay. Um, probably the best 10 and a half months tuition I ever got in life, work, experience, people. Um, and I've taken a lot of the lessons I learned with me in that. Um, and I had applied for the Navy that year, but I was too young. So subsequently, later that year in 85, um, I got a call to say, listen, yeah, we're, we're taking on another batch of recruits. Um, if you're interested, there's an interview in um, 
Clark Barracks in the dock. So I came home, did the interview. And he said, look, the, the officer at the time said, look, we're, we're going to be moving pretty quick in this. So I know you're going back to England, but if you're successful, you'll have to come back for a second interview in, in about six weeks time. And if you pass that, you'll have a medical. And if you pass that, you, you'll be in. And he said, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, absolutely. I said, you let me know. So that was grand. Went back to England six weeks later or five weeks later, got a phone call. Yeah, be in the barracks on such a date. This was on a Friday. So I literally had to pack my things in a Friday, close my bank accounts, <laughs> get on a bus the following morning in, in Turkey, a bus to London. I got a standby flight at six o'clock that evening from London to Belfast. Had to get a bus from Belfast to Newry. And by the time I got to Newry, the last bus that the dock had left. So I had to phone home, said, dad, I said, I got as far as Newry. This is where I am. He said, stay there. He said, I, he didn't have a car at the time. I said, I'll get my, my buddy, uh, Mickey. He said, he, he get his taxi. He'll come down to collect you. So stay where you are. So they picked me up just after midnight. So I got home kind of late Saturday night, Sunday morning, had dinner with the family Sunday, went up to Dublin on the Monday, did my second interview, passed that, did my medical, passed that, got sworn in uh, that day. Um, so I said, that's great. You know, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Navy now. And I remember before I went up, we had a letter mark saying, bring an overnight bag. And I brought my overnight bag. So I bought my one pair of underpants, my toothbrush, my pair of socks. <laughs> like you think that the light things you're going to think. So that was the 19th of November. Uh, and I got home on the 23rd of December. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Okay. So I literally, uh, yeah, thankfully they clothed us in uh, all the military gear and everything. But yeah, <laughs> that, that, was a, that was a culture shock. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a great, it was, look, that, that to me was my biggest successful moment that I have actually got something that I'd wanted to do. And like the Navy was born by, I, I remember watching a John Wayne movie when I was about 12. I think he was the captain of a U-boat. And I remember the submarine just sailing along the, the flat cam, dark sea with the moon in the background. And I was saying, wouldn't that be pretty cool to do something like that? And never thought anything more about it until I kind of 17 when I seen the ad for the Navy, I applied and then it didn't get it until I was 18. But um, it's funny how things stick in your subconscious and just kind of come back up when, when it's time to go. So obviously that was my time to, to join the Navy. But that, that at the time was my biggest single um, achievement in life. So making the decision whether I'm going to start a business, you can multiply that by, by 100 in terms of the decision process. Holy God, do I want to start a business in a whole different country that I'm not over there on a day-to-day -day basis, that I'm really going to be going on people's good faith and judgment and feedback that everything is going okay. So it was a huge decision. Like It, it was a huge decision. But then as you said, doors open and then do, do you step through or do you choose to stay and say, no, let it close again. So I just said, to give it a shot. You know, it's, it's amazing. What, what a, what an amazing story. Thanks for sharing that. And, um, I just think you never know where these opportunities are going to lead. And, and like, I always think, what's the worst that can happen? And okay, it doesn't work out. And then there might be some cost or associated with that or, or what have you. But like, the, the, you just never know. And it's mm -hmm. absolutely taken off, which is, um, which is amazing. And I want to hear more about that. But can I just circle back? You mentioned that the silver service job you got. So were you, you're, you're a waiter, basically. Yep. What you said, there were so many lessons you learned from that that you still apply today. Like, could you give me a, an example? Well, it, it, you you know this as well uh, as a coach and as a, a recruiter, Mark. That like it's all about people, people that you deal with in terms of uh, life is about people, regardless. But I think in recruitment, it's a pretty pretty solid um, 
kind of industry where it is all about the people. It's how you get on with people, how you react to people, how you react to candidates, how you react to clients, how to read them, how to understand them. And believe it or believe it not, it's probably the same in retail, but in retail and in um, the leisure industry, you're dealing with people every day of the week. You have to understand their moods, their wants, their needs, when they're in good form, when they're in bad form, when you can poke them, when you can't poke them, like when you can kind of get them on your side, when you know you're not getting them on your side. So you're reading a lot of situations that I brought um, into business um, and, and it, it has really served me well. I mean, that's just a quick kind of synopsis now, but generally I think just working around people, understanding people, getting to know people, you know, that it, if you can just tap into that, I think you'll be a lot more successful in life than you think you will be. Amazing. And uh, it's funny you say that because my daughter just got her first real job uh, after high school. She's, and it's a waitressing job. She's kind of in between. She doesn't decide if she's going to uni or what she'll study or what's going to happen next. So she's taking a year out. And um, yeah, so I, I'm sure she's going to get some good life lessons from that experience, regardless of what she, what she ultimately goes on to do. If you're a recruitment business owner, you might be feeling the pressure to invest in new technology. But how do you invest in technology that is proven to win higher paying clients? Otherwise, overall, you're just making a financial loss. Our trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. They provide recruiters with an online delivery platform for the candidate shortlist. So instead of sending over CVs or resumes, you can send your clients an online profile that includes video, key competency questionnaires, and behavioral assessments. It looks more professional than a CV or a PDF, plus it helps the client make a more informed decision about who to call to interview. But that's not all. iIntro also provides recruitment business owners with coaching for their team, not just to help them use the software, but to help them use it to win more retained business. Their comprehensive training program is specifically designed to help recruiters at all levels of experience develop their retained recruitment service. In fact, many of the hundreds of recruitment businesses they've worked with win a brand new retained client after only a few weeks of getting started. To see iIntro in action, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to book a free demonstration. There's no obligation, plus you'll also be helping to support this podcast. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. So 2016, this unbelievable opportunity, looking back, um, your client actually gave you the contractors as well. So like you couldn't really ask for a better, uh, a better first, you know, uh, recruiting uh, job than that. Um, so at, at that stage, how many employees did you have? Uh, 2014. On the health and safety side, we yeah. probably had one, two, three, I'm going to say four. Wow. Okay. So you've uh, gone and on, from and on the four. talent side, we had none because then the first right. two, the first two guys then were the first two guys. So in twenty fourteen, actually first of the first of January twenty fifteen, the Mackin Group, who wasn't the group at that stage, had six people. <laughs> Wait. Okay, okay. Okay. Let me get this straight. So the first, so twenty uh, two thousand six to twenty fourteen, the first however many uh, years. You, you just ticked along. You were a really small team, six people. Yeah. And then from 2016 to 2022, so the next six years, mm. you've gone from six people to 200 people. That yeah. is incredible, Andy. Like, I can't even, it's kind of mind boggling to think how rapidly you've grown. If you were to break that down into kind of 
critical stages, then what what would those be? If, if I broke that down, Mark, I'd scare myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, and I think a lot of a lot of the time, the success part of it is I I didn't overthink it too much. I didn't try okay. to make it over complicated than it was. I, I still, to this day, have to pinch myself of where we've come from to where we are, and obviously, I've got big aspirations and dreams on, on, on where we want to go. Um, but if I was to break down critical moments in it, I would say they were, they were all linked to critical relationships. So okay. for, ex- for example, and I just, uh, if you want me to dive into it a small yeah, bit, please. Um, one of the, um, one of the relationships that I kind of founded um, out of the, the first gig that we got with that client, that director is second in command, wasn't going to get promoted because they were both young guys so he subsequently subsequently moved to another big multinational um, and asked me to come along and, and, and help them out with some project work they were doing, very similar to what I had done with um with the first client. And um and I sorry I can't tell you, Mark, is I'm, I'm NDA'd and a lot of this this stuff. So you'll guess anyway, like they're they're big multimedia companies. So like I'll believe it at that. Um but brought me along and then he he made an introduction to um, the global facilities manager for the company, they, they had just bought a company for 1.4 billion uh, and um, they were looking for, funny enough, they were looking for health and safety in Cork, London and Zurich. So I was able to look after the Cork project and then we needed a kind of a consultant to look after London and a consultant to look after Zurich. So we did that. First quarter came over for a visit um, uh, and we had a great meeting. What what he said to me, well, I kind of thought, this this can't be this easy. He, he said to me, basically, he said, Andy, your communication style is fantastic. He said, I send an email, you respond straight away and let me know you've got the message. You're not telling me that you're doing it straight away because he said, I'm realistic. I said, I know people can't just drop things to look after me. But he said, I never had to worry about coming back and checking, was it done? Because once I got the response, it was done. Second, I got the email, the third email then, or second or third email was job completed. Here we go. This this is what we want. And um. He brought then three health and safety um, contractors on board and asked us to look after them. So that was fine. So that was so I'd kind of gone from six or seven people to ten people now, Mark. Um, and then he was so happy with the service that he sent another sixteen people to me in the next kind of two months. So I oh my new, goodness, I had a new positions. sixteen other hiring managers. Yeah, no, sixteen actual positions. So sixteen positions, okay, guaranteed. So they were either converting from different contractors of relationships that he had finished up with. He was moving them to Mackin or new positions that he wanted it to fill. Um, and we subsequently then just kind of doubled nearly every year after that. It was just bizarre. Um, and then, of course, then one hiring manager introduced you to another hiring manager because they've had such success with, with you and that. And then it just, it's like the ripple effect after that. So, but every one of them, Mark, were key relationships. I built, I put the time and effort into relationships. Um, and I would like to think I do that with everybody that I, that comes in contact with me. I always give them the time of day that they deserve. They're another human being on this earth just trying to get by like everybody else. So I think if you're nice, what goes around comes around, you know? Amazing. So there's a couple of interesting things about that. One being that here you are quite a a really small um, company, but you're doing business with these massive multinational mm-hmm. you know, companies doing acquisitions for over a billion dollars. And I, I, I've seen that's quite rare. Like normally smaller companies do business with smaller companies and bigger companies do bigger business with bigger companies. And you've been able to win work and these projects from 
you know, incredibly large companies. What do you think was the key to being able to do that? Well, I think we were able to find good candidates for them whenever we, whenever they give us the opportunity, we yeah. we were able to produce the goods. Um, I've got a, I've got a really good team in, in the in the US now, um, and, and and had one particular lady, uh, Lenise Lane, who who I'd worked with. Funny enough, again, it's it's funny how relationships start. I worked with Lenise on an on an EHS project in Luleå, Sweden. We one of the companies we were working working for. We we're building a data center there, and she was involved on the on the standards, the ISO standards kind of things. And we just hit it off. We had a great relationship. We, we used to contact each other on Facebook then just to say hi and stuff. And when the opportunity came up in the US, um, I said, listen, I, I kind of need somebody and we're getting a little bit busier now. And would you be interested in you know doing some work for me? And she said, look, Andy, I've got a kind of full-time job. Well, she said, I'm doing 30 hours a week. I could give you 10 hours if that works. And I said, look, it's just to have somebody that they can reach out to in the same time zone or, or two or three years, or two or three hours behind um, if, if that went out. She goes, I'd love to work for you. She said, no problem. So let's do the 10 hours. So we did that. Now, Denise is my operations, um, my CMO and operations lead in the US. Now she runs out North America. Um, wow. But Amazing. that just kind of grew from 10 hours to 15 hours to 20 hours. And then she said, what the heck? She said, I love working with you. I'm just going to come full time. <laughs> and she told me she'd never go back to the corporate world. She always had her own little uh, micro businesses that she loved doing. But she said, you're the only person she said, I'm going back into the corporate world for. So Beautiful. And um, so it seems like if I can analyze your recipe for success, your number one is about relationships and and really um, delivering on what you say. Mm -hmm. And um, and as you say, like absolutely, talent trumps all. If you are able to find and deliver excellent, you know, candidates for the client, then of course they don't care if you're big or small or whatever. Just that you can deliver and they can rely on you, right? So. You form these relationships, but then it seems like you are able to turn those into major accounts. So could you say a little about how you, you know, start with one, maybe one relationship with one person in a company and then expand that out so that you're actually getting a lot more opportunities within that same customer? Absolutely. So I'll give you a good example. And I, I, even as recently as this morning, I got another, another introduction from this particular person. So one of the first people we hired or one of those multinationals in California um, was subsequently converted to a full-time employee about maybe two and a half years later, maybe three years later. Um, that person is subsequently now uh, went, went on from that to become a, a team lead, project lead, then started making decisions on building out teams so that we were getting more opportunities with him. Um, subsequently introduced us to other people that were supporting his team of, look, this is a really good company that I've been dealing with. Um, and they come and get some people from from us as well. We ended up then doing a lot of the VMS for them. So they actually said, look, we need a 10, a 10 or 12 people. Can you manage that team for us? Um, so, and one of the unique things that Mackin uh, does, particularly Mackin Talent, uh, Mark, is that if we have 10 or 12 clients uh, or, or candidates with a client on a particular team, we will actually put a Mackin person in with the client free of charge to the client to manage those Mackin people. Um, so the client has no interaction with the with the team other than hi, how are you doing? Blah blah blah. Yeah, work's been done. It's everything is disseminated to the team lead. The team lead disseminates the, the information to the the actual team itself, and they get the work done. Any grumblings, PTO, HR issues, pay issues, it's all dealt by the Mac and lead. So the client doesn't hear any of it. So they just have that one point uh -huh. of contact 
or as one of the guys said to me one time, that one throat to choke. <laughs> if it's <laughs> okay. a problem, which I thought it was a great thing. Um, but like they, they, they've got they've got that one person, okay. and they seem to really like it because it it just they can get on with the work, they can concentrate on stuff, and they know that everything has been managed from the the first guy to the last guy in the door. They don't have to worry about anything like that. Um, and subsequently this morning, that guy, that guy Chris um, did another introduction for me this morning to another hiring manager that's actually building out a team and would love to know what, how Mac and success uh, within this within the client that we're working with, um, how we've done it, and very interested in in looking at opportunities to explore that with his team. So it's like the golden goose that keeps giving, you know. But I think it's how you like we treated that Chris like he's a great guy. I know his wife. I, I know his kids. Um, but like we treated him as a contractor with the apt and you know utmost respect. He had decent PTO, he got he'd health, dental, vision, he had um 401k opportunities, like everything that a contractor generally doesn't get with a lot of companies. Because you know yourself, the contracting world is like bumming a seat for a lot of time. And our USP was just to be different. Like, like, why would we treat somebody different than we'd like to be treated ourselves? My father always said that, and I believe it. It's so true. Um, so in life, it's like treat people the way you want to be treated yourself as a human being, and you won't go too far wrong. And that, you know, Chris is still referring people to us, like, you know, as a six years on. So that's just one example. Amazing. So this is genius, Andy, how you have that on-site person with any client where you have, what was it, 12 people? Or yeah, more? 10 to 12 people, depending on the client. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So although you're, and so you're, they're on your payroll, right? So yeah, correct. Yeah. that is an additional cost. However, it really embeds you with that client. And it's almost like you have your own like full-time salesperson inside that account who's like not only ensuring that the project goes smoothly and ironing out any issues like immediately, but also they're able to find opportunities that you probably wouldn't be aware of otherwise, you know, or do you know what I mean? That I just well, think that's they're, they're there, they're there on a day-to-day basis. So they're, they're meeting, yeah. they're meeting people in the cafeteria at, at coffee, just having a chat. Well, what do you do? We had this thing actually, the least um, thought of it years ago, Mark, where we had, and we call those guys engagement specialists. So like they, they will engage with the client. They're the specialists in that. So that's that's the kind of title we've given them. But yes. we got all the engagement specialists that we had in this particular client. We got a little nodding doll of the person. So it was their actual caricature. And they used to have used to have it on their desk. And it became a huge talking point with a lot of people. Is it? Oh, oh yeah, you're at Mackin. Yeah, yeah. We've seen the nodding. That, that. So it came to a point where if we'll say Courtney was one lady that we had, she's since moved on. But if Courtney was looking to speak with Mark and Mark's wasn't at his desk, she'd leave her nodding doll uh, on the desk and Mark would know that that was Courtney from Mackin and he would go and bring the, <laughs> so it was ingenious in loads of ways. But again, it's like you, it's, it's like you said earlier on, even about posting on LinkedIn, it's how you stand out, how you unique, like it, it became a talking point. It became a little bit of, bit of, a bit of fun and banter with it, but everybody knew who the Mackin engagement specialist was. That is cool. I love it. Did you know that fewer than 1% of recruitment business owners ever achieve an exit? The good news is that it's absolutely achievable if you know how. That know-how and proven track record is exactly what Recruitment Entrepreneur provides. They're the number one investor in recruitment startups and scale-ups globally. James Kahn and his team have done this many times before. In fact, they've backed 45 businesses already and they're only just getting started. Based in London, they've now launched in the USA and many other countries around the world 
they're looking to partner with ambitious recruiters who want to start, scale, and sell their recruitment business. They provide the funding, mentoring, advice, and support you need to become one of the top 1% who successfully exit their recruitment business. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. That's VC as in venture capital. Book a call with one of their investment directors and be sure to tell them you were referred by Mark Whitby and the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. You focus on relationships and delivery initially, then you build up that, uh, that account to the point where you you have your own on-site per engagement specialist in place. Um, are there any other kind of secrets to ha- that have enabled you to really scale that rapidly? Um, no, not really. I think it's 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 just like every time you get an opportunity like that within the VMS model, it's to bed that down as quick as possible, and then you see the opportunities themselves come up because you know yourself, Mark. When you're talking to people. The best thing you can do is a lot of times just to be quiet and let and, and they'll talk, they'll fill the fill the void, um, and that's more opportunities come out of that, uh, and that's not being facetious in any way. I mean, obviously engage, but I think sometimes you just your people are talking just for the sake of wanting to say something. Whereas if you're in a, a meeting with a client and they're actually talking about upcoming projects, if you leave that little bit of silence in between your response, it gives them an opportunity to think and say, "Oh, actually, I forgot about this." We're possibly going to need two people for this project because I forgot that that might have never co- come up in conversation if you had have just blurted out something just for the, filling the void for want of a better word. So I think it goes back to that engagement part that you you mentioned earlier on. Like just really engage. You know, it's all about relationships. If you can if you can work in the relationship and build it and really bed it in. Excuse me, and I don't mean in a in in a kind of a underhanded manner. I mean genuinely. If you have good, honest, positive feelings for the people you're dealing with, the relationships will will blossom. And I think a lot more opportunities come out of that because people want to do people with people they know, like, and trust. Um, Absolutely. It, it's the old adage, but it is, it's, it's a hundred percent true. What you're saying about like, it's a stereotype of salesmen that they have the gift of the gab or they've kissed the Blarney stone to use the uh, Irish uh, expression and they're good at talking. But the reality is the best salespeople spend more time listening, don't they? Asking good questions and listening and letting the customer talk rather than, as you say, just talking for the sake of it and trying to impress people. Um, how much... Uh, how much of this relationship building are you doing remotely via email and phone and and you know Zoom versus in person? Um, probably uh, on a percentage basis, I would say we're probably back to now probably doing about sixty five percent in person, and the rest okay. is probably a, a lot, well. And all of the initial stuff is by email and, and introduction and quick Zoom. Sure. Zoom call or Teams call or whatever it may be. But I think, yeah, we're, we're slowly but surely getting back. To, we're, we're about 65%, I think, that we have a lot of sites are operating now back at least in a hybrid model. So the engagement specialists have opportunities to get back on site. Um, and funny enough, again, in two years, managers have come and gone. So they're also reacquainting themselves with new managers and potential new opportunities. So um, a lot of the time you miss that on Zoom, uh, Mark. I think as much as, as much as you... We can chat away here and, and it's uh, like do the podcast and everything and, and have a great time and have a great chat. There's nothing quite like it if the two of us are sitting in front of each other having a coffee. You know, conversations seem to flow better when you're in the room with somebody. Um, I'm not saying this isn't a good thing, but 
I would I would love to get us probably back to 70, 75%. I'm okay with people working a bit of remote. I think hybrid is good. You know, like a lot of the team stuff, I think should definitely be done in person. If you're doing project stuff where you have to get the head down and you just want to be quiet, then I'm fine with you doing that in Belize or Niagara Falls or wherever it may be. Once the work is done, it doesn't matter. But the team stuff, I think the collaboration, anything like that, the creative stuff, I think that's, we missed a lot in the last two years being remote for that. Yeah, absolutely. We, so we love Zoom and, and virtual meetings and, and we do like on a week to week basis, we deliver most of our coaching via Zoom, via Zoom like this. Um, but we do like to get together in person and, and meet up. Uh, we just did a live summit in London in June. We're doing one in New York City in October. And you're absolutely right what you said where people already, it was nice because people felt they knew each other from Zoom. So, but then when you get to meet someone in person, it's a whole nother level of relationship. Yep. It adds it adds so much and people were able to go for a, a, a beer together afterwards. And um, yeah, it is a, it is a richer experience, I think. I think you said to me on a previous conversation that you, do you meet your clients quarterly or what's the sort of, could you say more about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think initially um, my philosophy was always at least, especially w when there's distance between the clients that try and get over. I mean, so like for, for to go from Ireland to America, um, it's it, look, it's, it's it's not you can't be over there once a week or once every two weeks. So once a quarter was so like that. We do the Teams calls or the Google Meets or the Teams whatever whatever platform they were using. We do that in between, and then I would make it my business to go over for a week or ten days, travel around the different sites, meet all the key managers that I've that I, that I had the relationships with, and just sit down 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, shoot the breeze, have a cup of coffee. Is there anything we can do? And again, like that, just listen. Whoa. Are there are, are those teams expanding? I mean, one of those conversations, it's been three years ago now, uh, Mark, has subsequently led to a project we just literally signed there about four weeks ago for um, I think it's like 18 million over the next three years. Um, so that's the power of the relationship and building it up and and just you know putting time into meeting them once a quarter um or whatever it may be. But like definitely once a quarter, I think, is is the minimum it should be. Um, Amazing. I, I, I want people to really think about that and take take that away as an action item is um, when was the last time you met your client in person? And because I think, well, two things. Number one, definitely during the pandemic, people had to just do it virtually, which mm -hmm. which I mean, there's been a lot of positives to that, but I think we've gotten out of the habit now of going to actually see people. And I think we should resume that in-person mm. uh, contact for the reasons you, you've you already said. So when's the last time you met a client in person? The second thing is I find if you have a local business where you're serving local customers, then of course it's, it's more natural to just pop over and see them. But what you're doing sets an example of how, even if you're recruiting nationally or even internationally, you could still create that opportunity to go and see people in person. And if you do make that effort, there's a good chance that you're going to be the one signing the 18 million you know, dollar contract instead of one of your competitors who hasn't been sitting in mm. front of the customer, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that 100%. And the, the interesting thing about it, Mark, as well, is that like, for me to travel once a quarter for a week or 10 days, Okay, look, it, it can be a chore, and I haven't obviously done 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 it to the extent I was doing it 
pre-COVID and I don't particularly want to go back to the madness that I was doing either. I, I'd definitely be more strategic in, in, in my meetings, but I will get back to those in-persons because um, it just solidifies the relationship that you're building with, with the person. And outside of that, they know you're making an effort to travel 5,000 miles to come and see them. They are very appreciative of the fact that they want to make, that you want to make sure that everything's going well and their, their needs have been met. Um, and then the relationship is building because of that, you know? So there's a lot of other things going on in the peripheral when you do that trip. So I think for me to spend, you know, two or three grand once a quarter traveling for an $18 million contract, it's kind of a no brainer, I think. Absolutely. I'm not saying that's the only thing in it, but yeah. And I look, we have people on the ground and they're an extension of me and the company and stuff, but I think they really do appreciate the fact that you put in the time to make those faces to faces. Absolutely. That's really interesting. So what's the sort of structure and shape of the organization right now? Like how, how, how's the business actually set up? So, um, obviously the, the, the group, uh, Mackin, Mackin group, obviously, as you said, is two companies. So, um, the talent business is kind of split. So we have Lenise Lane, who'd be my CMO and operations lead in the US of North America. And then I would have Fiona Donnelly who would look after EMEA and APAC. So they basically kind of run those two bits of the business. I'm still looking after the, the kind of health and safety uh, business, not on the day-to-day stuff, but generally just uh, overseeing it. And then just strategy for the business. So there's kind of three on the senior leadership team. And then we would have team leads and managers in respective areas for respective parts of the business. It'd be like account, manage, account managers, business development, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you've got everybody else underneath that. And when you say everybody else, like what are there different roles that you have in the business? I'm just curious because you do things differently to many other companies I've encountered. So I'm just curious to know what that actually looks like. Yeah, well, so we'd, ha- we'd have a, a like underneath the the leadership team, you would have operations lead in the US. We've got operations leads for EMEA and APAC. Then we would have the recruitment, recruitment managers in their respective areas. You'd have HR, business development, and they'd be all their kind of peers. And then underneath that, then you'd have the respective people in the different the different teams and different like team leads for that particular project in that particular client's um, site. And then the EHS business would then just run separately, uh, separately to that. Fiona would would kind of oversee a bit of that with myself. Um, but that's, I mean, that's kind of running itself in terms of a business. We've got the structures and systems in place for that. And, and so is that kind of replicated in each country or is some of it centralized? And, you know, uh, how, how many of the team members are like in Cork versus spread out in each of your countries where you have clients? It really depends. Yeah, we, we've kind of centralized it for like EMEA, APAC and the uh, North America. So, North America, the US will handle Canada and South America. Uh, EMEA will look after everything in Europe. Um, and we do a small bit, the, the numbers in APAC are qu- quite a tight team. So we manage that from, from England, from the, the team in London manage that. Um, okay. And until, like, there's, there's kind of tipping points then, Mark. So if, if, the, if the numbers get beyond the point, then it's time to promote somebody to a like an operations lead or bring somebody in uh, at that position. All right, makes sense. What would you say have been the biggest challenges um, in scaling that rapidly? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think time sometimes, like we've been very fortunate that a lot of the locations we've gone to, the client has asked us to come and support them in some way, shape or form. Um, Right. Which which definitely helps because Hmm. you know going in, regardless that you're going to have an invoice at the end of the month and that 
obviously puts the boots on the ground and then you can you can build from that and then obviously then you can start scaling in the in the in the region uh, outside of that client uh, but it certainly helps um we haven't always done that but we've done that quite a lot um so time sometimes the, the client might say look i've got a project kicking off in four weeks can you support us here and we're going to go and, uh, yes we can <laughs> <laughs> okay. and then when, when I hang up I go oh my god how are we going to do this but inevitably we, we do it we, we pull it out of the bag um, but we do different things like so sometimes it's a case of if it's Europe I can jump in a plane I can go over I can get the company registered get the bank account set up that's very quick if it's like we opened an office in Santiago de Chile there recently everything was done online virtually uh, between uh, myself and Lisa in the US um, but we used a company an RPO company who had, who went in there would manage everything, all the legalities, payroll, everything, onto a point whereby it becomes more expensive for them to do it than it does for us to do it ourselves. But at least it lets you get in there and you could be up and running within 10 days, two weeks, if, if push came Wow. You guys move fast. So like, st- you say that like, oh yeah, we'll just set up a company in Santiago, boom. And uh, like, I... For a lot of people contemplating moving to a new country uh, and setting up there, that would be a, I mean, that would be a months, if not, you know, years in the, in the planning. But I guess, as you say, part of your secret is you're moving with customers. So you already have business there. So that gives you a soft landing in that, in that new region. Um, What's, what's the kind of record for setting up a new location and, and supporting a, uh, a customer there with boots on the ground. I, th- I think Sa- Santiago de Chile, I think we had it done in like 13 days. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. But what about getting Mac and Town? Like, are you hiring locally or are you sending someone from another office to set up that office? No, or? we're hiring locally. So we have one of our team members in the US is um, originally from Colombia. So have the language and we're able to go through all the LinkedIn profiles and stuff in, in, in the different languages and pick out some of the top talent that would, that would kind of focus in the particular position that we were looking for. Um, and we, yeah, we, we were able to find the person and produ- produce the candidate and the client was delighted. And I think we're going to probably get another five or six people out of that. So that team in Chile is going to grow uh, nicely over the next kind of four to six months. Wow, that is awesome. Andy, I, I feel like we've only scratched the surface and uh, you know, <laughs> I've really enjoyed chatting with you. We could we could talk all day, I'm sure. Absolutely. But, um uh so looking back to, to 2014 to now, um what's what has been like the biggest um lesson or learn or um yeah, the 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 biggest learning experience? Um, the biggest learning for experience for me, Mark, is that you you just have to do the mundane stuff. Like, uh, n- like if you look at the likes of you two on stage and everybody's going, oh, and I'd love to do that. But like nobody wants to be on a bus 360 days of the year that they're busing for. Now, in the olden days, obviously, they can private jet and everything now. But, you know, you know what I mean? Like they, they did the really dirty, gritty, mundane stuff that ha- that that is in most jobs like. Um, your job isn't a bunch of roses every day for for eight hours or nine or ten hours a day. Mine isn't. I'm doing a lot of paperwork, documentation. I kind of like my eyes go square from looking at the computer sometimes. But then to get up on stage and re- receive a, an award or, or an EY finalist, I mean, they're the highlights of the. But like, you get that from doing all the mundane stuff. So the big, the biggest takeaway for me is that you have to do, you have to sweat the small stuff. You have to do it. You have to put in the work. You have to be consistent. And um, you, you'll eventually get that compound effect to use Darren Hardy's title. But I think that, that is 
the biggest learning lesson for me in, in life in general. I can look back and say that now, but definitely since the business started, so they went into the business side of things. Um, you, you just nobody for nobody forces you to do it. If you, you, it won't happen overnight if you don't do it. So the only the only thing you can do is just get up every morning, go to the gym, get your sweat done, get out, leave the gym, positive energy, get your breakfast, and go and do that on a consistent basis. So I think yeah, just sweat the small stuff, sweat the small stuff every day, do the mundane. And you gain the rewards on the other side. Amazing. And I'm glad to find a fellow U2 fan as well. That was my favorite <laughs> band in high school. Thank you, Andy. Great talking to you and uh, have an awesome rest of your day. Absolute pleasure, Mark. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really wanna help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.